Good afternoon, Greg Countryman's Diary. And good afternoon, it's the old Edge Creeper, Rob Collins, Countryman's Diary. Oh, you had to turn up, didn't you? I was quite happy here on my own. <laughs> well, I did. I thought about coming out because you do talk to yourself a lot, and you know. Yeah, but talking to myself, I've got nothing else to answer with. I only ask. <laughs> I only talk to myself when I want expert advice. Oh, are you an expert now? Are you? Yeah, I used as being in a drip under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I hope everyone is doing well. The snow has um, disappeared and reverted back to default weather the rain. Um, I hear you got some paddles the other day to go with your canoe. Paddles with canoe? I said bloody wet round here in Somersetshire. God, I got wet feet, I swear. I got an extra toe on each foot. I'm, I think I'm from Bridgewater, you know. I thought you were like that before you got no, wet. No, 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 it's happening right here. I, I don't know, it's... Uh, I, swear, I swear I've got rising damp or something, because... <laughs> You know, <laughs> the old edge creeper's got wet rot, folks. Yeah, I'm starting to feel like Rigby. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm showing your age. You and I just about know who that is. Yeah, I know. It's the programme Rising Dam, folks. Have a look at it for on YouTube. It's uh, good old comedy. Yeah, it's very dry, but very, very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what have we got on the agenda this week, then, Greg? Um, well... I was going for a travel yesterday, I believe it was, and I saw some sheep eating pebbles, Rob. Have you heard this one? Well, do you know what the funniest thing was? I've got a field full of sheep round here, and they've eating pebbles too. Uh, just to put folks in the picture, um, I can't remember who it was. There was a post up, I think it was Hastings or something like that. A uh, farmer put sheep in stubble turnips for the winter, and of course lovely rich soil as well, and all the tops of the turnips were like an orangey colour, and people have been walking by, driving by, I suppose, it was between the two lockdowns. And uh, then they were phoning up the RSPCA, complaining that these poor sheep had nothing but pebbles to eat. So in the end, the farmer put a post up saying that they've actually got stubble turnips and took close up pictures of it. But uh, I think a little bit of education is the key. Cool. Education is the key, but some of these people are off with the toilet, eh? <laughs> a bit. It's a bit like, I was on a job in Wiltshire, and uh, I was driving back, and I won't say where it was, and I was cutting between two Wiltshire villages, and uh, all of a sudden the traffic comes to a standstill, and I'm like, why? You shouldn't be having traffic here, what the hell's going on? And I can see this bloke, he's blocked off the road, and he's waving his arms, and everything else, and the next thing I know, police cars come screaming up, there's a police helicopter, turns out he's an high-ranking police officer, just new to the area, in Wiltshire there, and this was a few years ago, and uh, he called in backup and response and all sorts of different things to actually explain about uh well i think i think the firearms unit turned up as well to explain that there was this ghastly man with setting two dogs upon a flock of sheep and they were biting them and all sorts what actually turned out to me was it was the shepherd was moving the sheep from one paddock to another but um he came from london or something this, this police officer and uh I think it was a bit of a standing joke for a while. I know I've got a couple of mates there in, uh, in Wiltshire. I bet they've already heard about this. But that was, like I say, a few years ago now. But yeah, that was uh, it was, that was funny to watch. I think the only lamb I had seen was in Tesco's. <laughs> I just talking about Tesco's. Now, uh, if Simon's listening, you'll know what I'm talking about, Simon. He's one of the managers and the supervisors there. And uh, as always, I'm in my shooting gear. And, you know, it's, I'm a pest controller. It's that's my uniform and um, I went into Tesco's to do some shopping I normally use local suppliers but there's certain things you haven't got to go to the supermarket for and uh, I went there and I was looking at the meat section 
actually double double I've got another story about that as well so I was looking at the meat section and this woman came up and started having a go at me calling me a murderer and everything else I was like excuse me she said why don't you buy your meat in Tesco's where no animals being hurt I went do what and I thought <laughs> now I could see Simon down the end of the aisle because this woman was talking quite loud and I could see him peeking around the aisle I thought he stitched me up here he's a wind up I said, well, you do realise that leg of lamb you've got in your basket there, my love, is the back leg off of that lamb of that sheep on that picture. No, it's not. She wouldn't have it. But what was even more funny was she was convinced that eggs were made in-house, in the, in the store. And do you know how they did it, Greg? How's that? And, and, and it completely surprised me because well, she was completely shocked when I said they come from chicken's other bits. You know, and, uh, you know, it's a chicken that lays in. No, 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 no. She was convinced. You know, you get a beer, beer, beer uh, tap. Yeah. And you, you do like you get a little dribble off there and it drops like an egg shape. Correct me because she had, they had like hundreds of taps like that, and it was like because you could buy like condensed egg or whatever it was she called it, and that's how they were made in the shop. Because I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm this woman's off with the toilet zone, she's somewhere else. So I call Simon over thinking it's a wine. I was, excuse me, Simon. Um, and Simon's not his real name, but Simon, I know what I mean when I say Simon. And, you know, uh, so I said, excuse me, can you explain to this customer that you've now stitched me up with that, you know, all your eggs are made in store and all this? He's like, do what? I said, well, apparently that leg of lamb, I mean, the one in the picture either. So it was like, you know, he's like, I said, I'll leave you to it. I'm going to carry on about my shopping. And when I left, he was still there having a bit of discussion with her. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Uh, it's like the old joke about where does milk come from? Tesco's. Saying that was, again, I... I bumped into somebody I knew who used to eat meat and turned vegan. Vegan of all things. Um, you know, and uh, so this she said to me, she said, of course I had a couple of, they had these steaks on offer while I was in there. Oh, I'll do a couple of days, make a nice steak and onion sandwich or something. And uh, <laughs> she said, you ought to have this proper food here where no animals have been hurt. I said, I'd rather have the, uh, the, the food that peas and poos and eats your food and turns it into this. You know, I said, you know, so it's like that. So I went down to Simon again, you know, uh, and I actually said to him, I said, here, you've got a problem with your fridges up there, mate. He said, what? I said, all the steak's gone off. They've looked green, brown, horrible. There's, there's all sorts of things. And he said, it's a great shame. I said, look, there's a whole section. He said, there's nothing wrong with fridges. What are you on about? I said, under that bit that says vegan. He said, I thought you was being serious. I said, I am. Funny you should say that. For I'm not bigging up any channels here, but I occasionally watch Ben Fogel's New Lives in the Wild just to see what people live like. And he went to Ireland this week and met an author who used to be um, animal rights, vegan, eco-protester, the whole lot. And he now lives in the woods over in Galloway there, or Galway rather. And he's now having to kill things to eat and pick up roadkill to source his own body nutrients because the plants weren't enough so there you go we've actually converted one back well saying that do you remember the british shooting show uh last year 2020 and they're doing a cooking demonstration and uh i was doing um a moroccan hair recipe i made up literally on the spot while i was there with my couscous and did you get it from the barbers uh, no, unfortunately, it, uh, I don't shoot hairs, but the, the show themselves supplied me with these hairs. Um, so, uh, you know, and uh, I made this recipe. And it had taken all day to cook. It was slow cooking for about six hours in the pan. And I'd done other demonstrations for the day. Then all the people from the morning came back in the afternoon for the, the last show. So they all wanted to try this hair. So you could say it was the last supper then, Robert. Well, the last supper, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that. Um, I'm trying not to swear. This is, you know, it's very hard for a West Countryman not to say, you're out and all that sort of stuff, you know. I'm trying not to because this damn, this dark, you know, these things, what we're recording on, they might chuck it out and like, delete us or something. Just to let the readers know, there's two settings on the podcast, with or without language. We're aiming for the without, but uh, it's a bit difficult. You have no idea how hard it is for me not to swear. Anyway, so I could see this. Uh, in fact, it's on my YouTube channel. It's, it's actually was filmed for YouTube. And what I'm about to tell you is in full colour. You know, and I can see this uh, gentleman and uh, younger gentleman, and they're on my Facebook. So if you pick up on this podcast, come on, say hello, say, send a message. Anyway, I, um, young, the, as I'm getting towards the end of the show, he came around towards the side of the stage and said, Excuse me, he said, um, My nephew here, the younger gentleman, uh, he's, a, he's a vegetarian, been a vegetarian all his life. He said, His mum and dad are vegetarians, and he grew up knowing no different. But he said he started shooting and stuff like that. He said, I told him, if you're going to shoot things like pigeons and stuff, you've got to learn to eat it and use it and prepare it and cook it. Uh, when would be a good time to try meat? You know, wild meat. I looked him straight in the face. I went, well, right now. He was like, huh? So I gave him a piece of the hair on a cocktail stick with the, all the couscous neighbor and all the rest of it. Well, it was almost like a light went off. You know, it was like an explosion of taste. His face was a picture. Just look for the video on, on the old Edge Creepers uh, YouTube and uh, you'll see his face. It's just magical. British Shooting Show 2020. Cooking demo. And he literally almost grabbed a handful and shoved it straight in. So after he said, I don't know what I've been missing. This is amazing. My body just gone. You know, and, and so, uh, yeah, we turned a veg- lifelong vegetarian into a meat eater right there and then. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't go the other way. I tried. But I kept, every time I made something with vegetables, a steak or a pork chop or a bit of rabbit or something, I kept jumping in with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm fighting a lost cause now. I couldn't do all that nonsense. On about educating things, I hear your squirrels are uh, educating you. <laughs> do you know what? Like, is, nature never fails to surprise me. You know, and we all know things like rats are very clever and, and, and crows, you know, they learn, they count and see in colour, you know, we. we but squirrels, the grey squirrel, what a clever little animal that is. I'm using some of Ka- uh, Rob Elton's Catchit traps. Um, fantastically made traps. And uh, they've got guards on them and all sorts of stuff. And uh, they've got Mark IV Fen Trap in sight. So, you know, completely humane, snap shut, that's it. Good night, sweetheart, that's it. Um, I've, something was setting the traps off and taking the guards off. So. I was like, what the hell's doing it? So I sat there. Well, you saw the post I did the other day because I was actually dealing with squirrels with the Air Arms TX200. Yep. Well, I actually sat there watching these squirrels attack the traps. A couple of them would carry sticks up and stick them through the top of the trap and trigger the trap and then go down and get the food. And uh, a couple of them literally grabbed hold of the guards that were off the sides and ripped them off, threw them on the floor put their tails in and their back legs in backwards and tap the trap to make it go off so yeah I mean you know it was wonderful to watch I mean they didn't get very far because I gave them a lead aspirin from the TX200 so um, but you know it was it was fabulous to watch so uh, those squirrels have all been diced up ready and I'm going to have some lovely popcorn squirrel sounds good mate Jamie can't post some down to me Rob 
We'll post your picture. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you, can use the, you can use the picture like a scratch and sniff. After your hands have been on it, no thanks. <laughs> I'm very clear. I've washed my hands a lot. I've done in my pot. Yes. Well, but yeah, no, uh, but no, um, yeah, as well, as I do, I've got to admit, you know, a lot of ways I do squirrel. For a quick, easy meal, I mean, I know, like, Bruce Gold and Nick Tall and some of the other boys who've hunted with me and tried the popcorn squirrel, and they, they love it. I've got some wonderful pictures of them. They're like, wow. You know, he said, the only thing is, I, I draw the line. I said, right, if you shot them, you can skin them, I'll cook them. Well, I haven't showed them the quick way to skin a squirrel yet, so it's quite funny watching them do it the long drawn out way. <laughs> and of course, I'm usually saying, you know, I'd want to, I want to sharpen that knife, young, and he's more like a spoon. Oh yes. Oh, talking about that. Well, we're, we're uh, having a chat, and you're having. Bear with me a second. Carry on chatting. I've got to go and get me steel and me strop. I've got to sharpen the old edge creeper's knife because I've been using it today. Well, folks, the rain has come back. The winds swung back round, so. One day during the week, I think it was last week, it was that cold, I actually put me all in one jacket together, me jackpike coat and bomber jacket. Well, I think we're going to have to separate them again this week. That's the only problem, it's so blooming warm in there, it's uh, a bit sweaty. Well, I think on my temperature gauge today, when I drove up the woods and did, did the traps and all the birds, I think it was 7 degrees. That's much better than the minus 2 we had last week. Oh no, I much prefer the cold. I like the, I like the cold and the frozen. I can work in that. This wet stuff ain't no good for man or beast, this. No. You know, I much prefer. So, while we're talking, guys and gals, I'm going to carry on sharpening me knife. Hey, well, I'm just, I'm just going to change it. I've got to sharpen the knife because I've been using it, and if I don't do it now and re-oil it, I'll forget. And then I'll go to use it, and my good knife will end up like a spoon, and then Dean will be telling me off. Would not... that be Dean from ADG Custom Knives? That'll be, D... be Dean from ADG Custom Knives. And if you look on Field Sports Britain this week, one of their sub-segments, Dean is actually featured in there with his knives. So you can actually see the man behind the skills and the talent. Yeah. So, the voice doesn't match the face, I don't think. No, I said to him, he's very eloquent. Yeah, he looks like something that was dragged through the Bramble Batch by a Harley Davidson. <laughs> well, he could have fell off the back of the Harley. He might have done, and then robbed Daniel through the Bramble Patch. I tell you, these uh, these drops that we make, um, we do sell them on the on the stand when we do the shows. I tell you, these are brilliant. You know, it makes it's a wooden paddle with the leather and the, everything else on it, but they really make all the difference when finishing the knife off. I mean, you know, I've, I've just run it through, just to steel, just to make sure that I take any burrs. Now I'm polishing the blade off with this strop, as Dean recommends. We've got some nice uh, oil on the on the strop here. Um, I can't remember which one this was. This was a different bottle, this one, but um, makes all the difference. And I tell you, if you look after your knife, they look, look after you. you. My granddad and my dad and Uncle Dave, they taught me all this, all about looking after your tools and knife skills and knife care. You know, like you, you cut yourself last week. Sharpening my knife. Sharpening your knife. <laughs> At least I know it's sharp. Well, yeah. <laughs> but the old thing my granddad always taught me, you know, ex-Royal Navy man, a boy, World War II era, Normandy landings, the whole lot. Right, he always taught me keep your knife sharp and always cut towards your mate. And he's right. Well, I didn't have a mate with me, so I screwed there. <laughs> well, cut. Imagine where he'd be. Just don't cut the orders yourself, you dumb bar. Well, all I was doing was honing up the very, very edge on a nice sharpening stone. Now it should be, and uh, shaving sharp it was. It literally took the fingertip skin off. Well, that is now that's, that knife is as sharp as a razor. In fact, 
that's making a razor look blunt. On about razors, Rob, I'm currently reading a book about knife sharpening and edge retention. And the first article is a double-edged razor blade and they used um, electronic microscope to actually look at it. 50,000 times zoom, you can actually see the hairline cracks in the blade, brand new. And after one shaving, the whole edge looks like it's been rolled through a steel drum. It's absolutely knackered just off one shave, would you believe? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, the Japanese, I mean, they make some wonderful blades. I mean, they, they fold the steel like a thousand times and all sorts of different things. Um, you know, knife care, you, you've got to look after your blades. Yeah. I mean, like this, this knife I've got in my hand right now. I mean, you, you've seen it in its inception right through to the finished product. This knife will last a lifetime. I can hand this down to my grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, whatever. It's as long as you look after it. And one thing I cannot stand is a blunt knife. I'd rather get cut with a sharp one than I would with a blunt one, put it that way. Oh yeah, twice the work using a blunt knife, folks. Yeah, I mean, that, that this knife I got here, the design it took us months and months and months of planning and a year of um, doing things and testing it till we come up to the final um, product. And I've got to say, I'm really happy with it. It's so well balanced. Uh, I've done everything from skinning squirrels and dealing with squirrels right up to mighty stag and, uh, and everything in between using bushcraft I've cut all sorts you name with it you know even my dad the other week uh, we were doing something and had to get some baler to one I said hold that and I just barely touched it he went my god that knife's sharp I didn't I'd have to touch the baler to one he just twing he was gone and I said yeah I said well I keep a good sharp knife it's a good quality knife a good weight to the knife it's not so you're going to lose very easy it's got a beautiful sheath so, big shout out to Dean, he's done a wonderful job on my knife. So anybody who wants an old edge creeper knife, you know, there's quite a few of you now have got them. But what I will say is um, a lot of people there are, you know, it's not you're not buying some cheap Chinese thing off the shelf. It, this takes time to make. So it's going to take five minutes before you can get it. So if you do order one, don't expect it the next day. It's going to be... And um, just a quick disclaimer, it does not come with an old hedge creeper. Yes, it does. My signature's <laughs> on that side. And my face is on that side. Oh, that's just devalued it then, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'd say it's added the value because I'm even smiling in that, in that one. <laughs> you know. And on about handing things down, I believe one of your new articles could be handing down some knowledge to people. <sighs> well, yeah, I I get a little bit annoyed with the attitude it's with his red, it's dead. You know, I, I only deal with foxes that are attacking livestock. I don't just go and shoot a fox because it's a fox. But so many people taking pot shots at these 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 animals and um, educating them you know um, what would you say um, yeah it's a bit like I've seen several posts um, three four five thousand pound units for thermal and it's literally up point shoot and down and I'm sorry, unless you've got full target recognition, I wouldn't even dream of taking a shot. No, I, I mean, I spot on thermal, because it's a game changer. Spotting on thermal, but I only shoot on night vision. Um, on, you know, if I'm using night vision, otherwise I use a lamp. I still do it the old-fashioned way. I, I dealt with some the other week. I didn't have any night vision with me. I got called from one job. I was dealing with a mole job, and it was come quickly. I got foxes attacking now. Well, all I had with me was my Nightmaster Venom. Well, he went straight on the top of the rifle and 
well, you know, the old skills of lamping. That's another thing I always say is, um, you know, part of the education of what I'm going to say in this article is uh, you've got to know good field craft. There's no good relying on gadgets. And to be any good with night vision, because what is night vision? It's a lamp which a camera sees. Yes. Whether you're looking down a dedicated scope or a night sight up on the it's a, it's a lamp, an IR lamp. So to be any good with night vision, you've got to be a good old-fashioned lamper. So I always say, learn the old skills first. I mean, I'm not saying let's go out with a motorbike battery and an old motorbike lamp right in our jackets, so like you and I used to in the old days. Yeah, let's get tangled in about five feet of wire, then fall over, then get battery acid on yourself. And that was before I stopped laughing at you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, even you know how fast I can shoot a fox. Yes. Don't remind me, Rob. Yeah, well, he's like, <laughs> by the time he messed around trying to turn his ATN unit on, I was up with the night. like, Fox, where? Oh, bang, there. He was like, oh, you didn't even get a chance to turn on. I said, he might have ran. He ain't going nowhere. And that was a, that was a problem, one taking lambs. But like last night, so, I mean, if you look on Facebook, I've just, just dealt with one last night. And where it was, the ambient light from the town and um, a, a big warehouse place and you know uh, factories and all that sort of stuff really lit the area up so you you really have to know your stuff and the worst thing is is people using either electronic calls or trying to call they don't go out with practice and then practice properly plus the fact is they start squealing whatever else and what I'm getting so much of lately I've got a fox that's being educated by people you squeal they bolt so quite often I don't call quite often I will track the fox work out their roots however erratic are they are and I will do my best to head them off and this is what happened last night I got called out by client A um, client B who's next door were they're a family from London they got this idea of uh, becoming the good life like the TV program oh yes and uh, as, as the old farmer said you not got a clue and they, they're gonna have to learn their way because they won't listen to those that know better so okay so they didn't want to pay for professional pest control fair enough and then well client a who is one of my oldest clients found the fox on top of his barn trying to get in with his prize and when we're talking he shows these chickens and these ducks and these things and trying to get in the enclosure over the top of the barn roof um, and things so luckily there's a, there's, a, there's a mesh roof on the top of the pen so but uh, he said I haven't actually phoned me he said come come now come yesterday he said come now bring an invoice with you and come and sort the bloody fox out so you know I was there and um, it's, it's a funny story I'm going to write it in the article but let's just say that I worked out what the fox is doing I knew the escape routes and everything else heading him off and he came right to me and uh, it was a fair fairish shot because the ambient light I mean it was just like daylight I could see him and see him across the field at 200 yards just with my naked eye let alone using night vision I think what a lot of we'll call them new shooters forget is old Charlie knows every field every hedgerow probably even every gateway and fence post on his patch and unless you can learn it better than he can which you never will you're going to really struggle outfoxing Charlie as we say well, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, I take so much great pleasure in watching a fox. I mean, if you ever see a fox hunt naturally, yes, you know, and you know, voling and all this sort of stuff, and you know, mouse, wonderful. 
absolutely amazing. You know, I mean, they can pinpoint their prey right down to the exact spot. I mean, I've known foxes that can literally pinpoint you at 500 meters and know you're there. You know, if you just know where you are. I mean, they're amazing. They're absolutely truly amazing. But um, that's why I've always made a point. I only deal with foxes that attack livestock. I never shoot a fox just because it's a fox. And uh, I've written this so many times. And, you know, I can't implore that enough. You can't treat wildlife in such a way. Well, even on what's my wood shoot that people have seen me on, there's 90 acres of land there as well. And years ago, I used to have a vixen follow me around when I was hunting rabbits. And she used to wait for me to leave the odd one for her. And I was quite happy to do so, you know, it saves her hunting. But it was fantastic. Very often we'd bump into each other if we're going. I used to go the wrong way round sometimes, just for a change. And we'd bump into each other round bends. And I don't know who's more shocked, me bumping into her or her bumping into me. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, wildlife is amazing. I mean, you know, a fox, <laughs> a fox is a very intelligent animal. It can be the most stupid animal sometimes, but <clears throat> I mean, I can remember a certain uh, person from up north was out shooting with us and uh, we were dealing with a rabbit job. But I had to go and deal with a fox job. Uh, you know, these fox were attacking. And I said, well, I'll leave you here with the air rifle. Um, in this hedge bomb, dealing with these rabbits on this set, and he had, he had two rabbits tied to his belt. He's led down in this hedge bottom, this ditch bomb, and uh, it's just getting on dusk. And uh, I, I went off with the two, four, three, and I'd spotted this fox, and he'd winded me and gone round me. And I thought, I know he's here somewhere, and I'm sort of looking around, and also I look across, and all I can see is my mate in the hedge. Well, looked like he was having some sort of fit or something, or fighting with something. The fox had wind scented round him. He's led down, and the fox is coming and tried to take the rabbits off his belt. And he's scrapping with the fox in the hedge, trying to steal the rabbits. Funniest thing I ever saw. On about gullies and ditches, I always remember um, army cadets. We used to go and do our annual camps and stuff. Um, we went to Oakhampton, even though it's only just over the moors from where we lived. Um, but we were right up on top of the moors and I was in, I suppose you call it like an old railway line or drainage gully, but it was on top of the hill and I was looking down across the valley of the moors and of course, oh, you're on first stag duty, well then off you go. Alright, so I lied there just as the sun was starting to set and I had the pleasure of about 100 yards away, a vixen and six cubs were out playing for the evening and I don't think I watched for any sentry duty or anybody else coming. I just um, watched these foxes for about an hour and a half. But there we go. <laughs> Did you know that's often the way? I mean, I might on the shoot, whatever. And quite often I just sit there under the tree, me and Goose. And, you know, it would be a deer or a fox or a badger maybe, a rabbit. I, I've had so much pleasure just watching a couple of rabbits frolic around. Well, I'll tell you what happened just before. Oh, when was that? That was about... Uh, that must have been about September time. And I'm sat there, and I've never seen this before, Greg. Have you ever seen a rabbit, a wild rabbit, suckle its young? No, because it's normally done maybe once or twice a day underground, isn't it? Well, that's my thought. But now I'm sat there, and I'm watching this. It's right on the corner of a wood. And uh, out this, uh, this this rabbit, I hope there was a couple more rabbits a few more yards away. And... Um, yeah, well, what was I going to say? Yeah, there was a few more yards away. That's right. The rabbit hopped out on the corner, and I could see it. She was probably about, oh, 
probably five yards out from the hedge. Now, I'm full alert because we've got a few sparrowhawks there as well, you know, we've got all sorts of... Actually, I'll tell you a story about sparrowhawks in a minute. And um, all of a sudden, I've seen some movement. Now, I wasn't looking with my binoculars. This is probably about 140 yards away. And I, and I, but I just caught this movement come out of, the, out of the hedge, very small movement. So I put the binoculars up, and it was young rabbits. And they went under the dough, suckled, and ran back in the hedge. I'd never seen it before. It was amazing. I mean, I was just absolutely buzzing. That was an amazing sight. Beautiful, beautiful sight in Mother Nature. Now, the sparrowhawk, we had, uh, we, last couple of years, the sparrowhawk, he, he follows me around, this thing. Um, I was pigeon shooting with the uh, 22 rifle, using Neely ammunition, uh, as I'm Neely ambassador. Uh, so, uh, you know, I had to do that. And uh, so I was actually, the pigeons were coming in on a, on a crop. Uh, the problem with the shotgun, we had horses and different things like that there and it spooked the horses. So the only way I could deal with them was with the 22 rifle. So I was in a elevated position, lovely backstop, and I shot the first pigeon and everyone decoyed to, to that pigeon after that and it kept them off, kept them moving. I shot a few. At this point, the sparrow flew in, flew past me on seat, gave me a tip of his wing, went out, and picked up one of my pigeons and started eating it. Right, so I, I was in awe just watching this. This is wonderful. You know, I think, you know, he's, he's more hungry than me. He needs more food than I do, probably. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I sat there watching And more pigeons landed, and I shot more pigeons while he sat out there. And in the end, he sort of, oh, I'm a bit bored with that. And he picked the pigeon up, mopped the other side of the hedge. And he was still there munching on me pigeon. But, you know, um, that was it. We had those, those actually, those pigeons, um, not only did we, we save the crop because the crop really got hammered there, uh, but those pigeons actually went into a cooking demonstrations for the local catering college. And had the, I taught chefs how to prepare game from fur and feather and how to cook it, you know, as well. You know, it wasn't just a, you know, teach them how to prepare it, it was the full circle. And if you look on my Facebook, and I've, I think I've done a couple of videos for YouTube and things for it, but yeah, game, game cooking and preparation. I know when I was at college we did jugged hair one night. You try getting a hair in a bloody jug, you don't have state sit still, you know. Well, it's a bit, do you know, it's a bit like um, when Mother had this, this turkey. And uh, she said, she took nearly two days to cook this thing. And I said, why? She said, well, every time I put him in the oven, he blows the gas out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my daft sense of humour. Right, and just to let folks know, we are still taking orders for the um, Lifetime Gun Ice Cards. But because the printer has to set up a special machine to do it all, he's asked that we can do a minimum order of 10. So if you want to pop over to gunice.co.uk, you can book your um, lifetime card, use our online secure form for all your data and details. And when we reach 10, we can then get the printer to print a load off. Unfortunately, it's got to be that way, folks, because of the cost of the printing and stuff. All these machines cost a lot and lot of money. I think our printer said this one's about four and a half grand, this bloody machine. But if you pop over to Gun Ice and we can do your lifetime card, which has a lifetime warranty on it. And we still do our paper cards, if you'd like those. And I know Rob still carries one, even on his pest control rounds, don't you Rob? In fact, if I look behind me right now, right above the office desk, there's, there's one in all my cards, they're in my cards, they're in my wallet, my jacket, I've got half a dozen or more. There's one sat above my desk, hanging on the pheasant picture, uh, in case anything happens to me at home even. It's, it's right there, it's recognisable, it's, it's there. I mean, 
our motto always carry never use very true you know I'm you know I'm not being funny how much are they now Greg um, the lifetime cards are just over a fiver online and the paper cards are just over three pound fifty I think it is I had to put the postage up because Royal Mail wanted a bit more money last year but other than that that is the price See, cheaper after price and if anyone argues saying I got it on my phone and all this nonsense if you ain't got your phone with you it's phone dead it's locked whatever you know is this you're going to put more than a value of three or five quid on your life you know it's I, I can never understand the cheapskateness of people you know they, they, it's you know it's one of those initiatives that really does save lives and that has saved lives you know well all the paramedics I've spoken to they go neck wrists and ankles for checking for any ID tags like diabetes or um, allergic to anything like penicillin but they don't sit there and go through your bloody phone going, I wonder what goes on on here. <coughs> and this is. They might look for your wallet and they occasionally look for your wallet after the police have arrived. Otherwise, um, they can actually get in the stuck with their bosses because they went through your personal belongings. Normally only the police do that at the scene of an accident. So they want a quick, fast, easy way to find out who you are and whether you're allergic to anything and who to contact. And even with the contact, normally it's the police that will contact the next of kin when the police eventually turn up. But as you might have seen along with um, paramedics, you now get paramedic cars and paramedics on souped up motorbikes. So they're, they're a lot faster than anybody else can be. Yeah, absolutely. So if you if you don't value your life as much as five quid, then you're a bit dad, though, in my opinion. But there we go. But no, uh, well, we better think about rounding this up because I've got a get out and uh, do my evening's pest control rounds as well so uh, I've got some mole traps to go and check uh, some clever squirrel traps to go and check um, you got a couple of articles to write for the world renowned countryman's diary well I'm gonna do you know I've been using the uh, I mean the Aeron's S510 Ultimate Sport is brilliant I mean I love my Aeron's S410 but the S510 Ultimate Sport I mean that's a you know is a precision instrument you know it just is just a surgical instrument is that good uh, but I've been using the air arms TX 200 just recently because I just different places I've got to go I want to take air with me and this sort of stuff and especially dealing with some of this squirrel control and I'll tell you what what a beautiful rifle that is I mean I've got the 177 and the 22 uh, I much prefer it's me personally I much prefer the 22 caliber but both you absolutely smooth and silky it's fantastic each other um, but what a most beautiful, accurate rifle, straight out of the box, smooth. Yeah, it's heavy, but then, you know, weight means quality in my book when it comes down to rifles. And an air rifle is still a precision tool upon anything. And if you think an air arms is heavy, you want to try carrying a Virac round for a couple of hours, crikey. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've got to admit, those Viracs I got are to do weight. I mean, I've got some going back. You know, to the uh, 95s, the 75s, the 77s, and 97s. I've got all sorts of Virax there in the gun room. Um, again, beautiful rifles, but the Air Arms is British. It just takes the edge, you know, for a British hunter, an English hunter, you know. Well, I thought you said you're from Somersetshire. I am, that's God's County. <laughs> Everyone else aspires to be a Somerset boy. 
No, they don't. I'm Cornish and very happy with it. Thank you very much. I have a, even, you know, even a, even a candle, a candle up on a hill, will please you, Cornish lot. Yeah, means somebody's got the pasty going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Christ. I mean, what was it? Um, what's that film with the fish? Um, Nemo. Nemo. Finding Nemo. And you got the the light drops down in front. Of, oh, oh anglerfish. Oh, it's a light. That's what you Cornish lot are like. Yeah. You know. Normally means somebody's in the bloody pub too. Yeah. <laughs> pub? What's that? We don't know what pub is now, do Oh, that's that thing we used to visit. It's a bit like the museum. <laughs> yeah. You know, nice roaring log fire. Nice pint. Catch up with your mates or... It's got taps inside. Make eggs. Oh, God, yeah. That one would be going around. You got any eggs? <laughs> oh, bloody like You'll have to tune in next week for that story, readers. Listeners. Listeners. I'm still calling them readers. They're <laughs> listeners. If we if we if we did this as a visual one as well, they could try lip read and understand West Country. <laughs> we could do West Country uh, sign language too. Get around the um, non-swearing policy. Yeah, but then we get we probably then get told off for swearing in Braille or something. Probably. Yeah. Do you know any swear words in Braille? I only mean, know three. <laughs> I do like yeah. Something, I, don't yeah know. I don't know. Right. Well, it's goodbye from Greg. Let's comply from him. Yeah, let's goodbye from you. <laughs> How did they do it so easy? I don't know. It's a, was it? Oh, God. It's so goodbye from you and goodbye from me. Right? Goodbye from me and goodbye from him. I don't know. I get all muck and fuddled at the best of times. Yes. But we're not going to address as ladies and beat saucepans to make a nice tune at the end of the show, eh? You speak for yourself. I've got to kill one. Okay, then. I heard a funny story on the radio that went to traffic announcement on the way up and... Uh, some poor lady had her long kilt dress and it got stuck in the escalator and nearly got ripped off her. Apparently she's screaming, but that's another story. Well, I'll tell you, actually, before we go, I'll tell you a very true story. Um, I went to a local village burns night. Now, I was told that, you know, because I like, I've got my kilt um, and everything else, got the full regalia. And uh, I went to this burns night and um, I was a guest. And... Uh, we were sat on the table with the, our table was made up of the uh, parish council and things like that, and the, the lovely local vicar and his wife. Now, I was sat next to his wife, and um, she enjoyed the wine a little bit too much. And uh, she kept, she, she, got to the, she got to the point where she had to pluck up the courage and asked, was I a true Scotsman under the kilt? And was all my Highland chums will tell you. I won't have them take the mick out of me. I am a true Scotsman under that kilt. And uh, so I said to this very, very well-spoken lady who was a little bit squiffy, well, my love, I said, uh, if you'd like to put your hand up and find out for yourself, you will have more of a shock than I will. To which point she did. I, I wish she'd have warmed her hands, but uh, she was like, she's there like looking at me, holding on to something and going, you haven't got anything on. I don't believe it. You're, you're not. And I, uh, I said, yes, I know, I love. Yeah, that was true. I said, and her husband said, you can let go now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not. No, I think we should both leave. Well, that was a very true story, the vicar's wife. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there we are. So this is episode two. You've got episode one and a whole heap of other podcasts to listen to. And we'll catch you again next week, folks. Thank See you very much. See you later, guys. Proper job. <laughs>